up with my foolishness. If you can't have fun in God's house, where can you have fun? Amen. Take your Bibles open to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We're staying on the theme that we've been on for the last three weeks. I think it was two Sunday nights ago I spoke on the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. And then last Sunday night we began an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians, let's read the first three verses. First Corinthians chapter one. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of the Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak tonight on carnal church members. Carnal church members. Let's pray. God, I pray that at this time, I've already been witness to your presence through the unity of the body here tonight. God, I'm so thankful that we can be united and the whole reason that we're united is simply because of you. You loved us when we are so unlovely. You've saved us. You promised us a home in heaven. Your word says you're going to prepare a place for us. And so we have so many precious promises in your word. We also have the promise that where two or three are gathered together in my name that you'll be here in our midst. And so God, we praise you for that. And it's at this point that we say and confess that we need you to teach us. We pray, God, that we'd learn from your word. And God, we pray that as we learn from your word, we'd let it drink into our hearts. And then we'd allow our lives to be fashioned by you and your word. God, bless McKeever Baptist Church. May we be a lighthouse for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we read... And study in 1 Corinthians, you need to keep this one thing in mind. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth was a carnal church. Now remember, remember, the natural man is the lost man. The carnal man is a Christian, but he's probably, he's a babe in Christ. Now, he may be a babe in Christ for just a short time and doesn't know yet. Or he may be, have been a babe in Christ for a long time. Remember I talked about a couple of weeks how it's sad when we see a baby that does not develop and does not grow. There's something wrong. And so it is with the carnal Christian. And then there's the uh, spiritual Christian. Spiritual Christian. Sosthenes, I looked him up a little bit. His name means safe strength. Safe strength. And it's said that possibly... If you go back to the book of Luke chapter 10 verse 1, that he may be one of the 70 disciples mentioned there. Uh, Paul called the Christians at Corinth saints. Now, I know that the Catholic Church have named some people as saints, but uh, believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, according to God's word, you are a saint. Uh, it doesn't mean that 
You may be saintly, okay, but you are a saint. You're a saint. <clears throat> saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which means, anybody have a guess what saint, uh, hagios means? It means holy. Holy. Not W-H-O-L-L-Y, but holy. H-O-L-Y. A saint. A saint is someone who has been set apart. A lot of people will stop there. But a saint is someone that's been set apart. Not just set apart, but set apart for a purpose. That purpose is to God. You've been born again. You've received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You're a saint. You're a saint. I've got Saint Timothy here. Okay? I've got Saint Peter back there. Boy, we've got apostles and preachers going on here tonight, aren't we? But you're a saint, and you've been set apart. The Corinthians were saints. They were saints. They were saints in their position. What are you saying? I'm saying they were saved. That made them saints. But they were not saints in their practice. They lived like the world. They, were, they hadn't separated from sin. They hadn't separated from sin. You know, I think sometimes along this line, we think we need to separate from sinners. <clears throat> no. Do this. Separate from sin. Separate from sin. See, I, need, I still have to live in the world. And I still need to be a witness and testimony. Separate yourself from sin. Separate yourself from sin. Paul wrote this letter to move the Corinthians to change their practical sanctification and move it more to reflect their positional sanctification. He's writing this because he wants to teach them what it means to be a spiritual saint and not a carnal saint. In other words, I guess he could say, if you're saved, live like it. If you're saved, live like it. They were called saints. They were called to be saints, it says in verse 2. Isn't that what it says? Remember we talked this morning and we were preaching on some things and we were talking about some things. Let's allow the Bible to say what it's saying. Let's not add anything to it. Let's not make it say something different. It says called to be saints. Called to be saints. But they needed to be more saintly in their conduct. By the way, by the way, Unless we get, become guilty of reading this and just kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but we, we read the Bible and study God's word, and you need to be able to interject yourself into it and make application in your own life. Just like the saints here at Corinth were set aside for a purpose for God, so are you. So are you set aside for a purpose. You know, I don't know exactly what that purpose is. But I think if we do this, if we keep Jesus in the forefront of our mind and in our hearts as we go through our daily task, he will reveal to us purpose after purpose after different purpose. Some are called to be missionaries. Well, I'm not called to be a missionary, you might say. Or I'm not called to be a preacher. That's fine. But every day we are still called to be saints. And as saints, we are set aside to God. Why? For his purposes. For his purposes. Now, let's go to Paul's thanksgiving. Go to the first, uh, fourth verse of chapter 1. We'll read this down through about verse 9. And what we're going to do is we'll read a verse. We'll talk about it a little bit and kind of jump back and forth. I thank my God always on your behalf. You know, as I read that, I thought, you know what? 
He didn't look down on them because they were carnal saints. He didn't look down on them because they were not that elite saint. They were not that real top Christian. He said, I thank my God always on your behalf. I thank my God. Then he goes on. He says, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him. Now he's encouraging them. In all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This church was greatly gifted. It was a greatly gifted church. They could speak well. I probably would not fit into this church. They could speak well. They could enunciate. They could wax eloquent. Boy, I'm surprised I remember that. They could do those things. They were very knowledgeable people. They were very knowledgeable. Remember we talked about Corinthian words. They were very smart. And then uh, <clears throat> the church was greatly gifted with them. Uh, they were In verse 6 it says, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. We know you're saved. We know you're saved by your testimony. That would be his best gift, his own return for us. God's gift is uh, both his unmerited grace and his divine enablement. A synonym for grace is uh, <clears throat> help. A synonym for grace is help. God's grace is the root and source of all our blessing. In verse 7. The church at Corinth was so strong. It was a strong church in the sense that they were extremely gifted. But they were a weak church in their abilities, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking. You know, there's probably a lot of churches today that fit that bill. They seem to be overflowing with intelligent people, professionals, people that can speak well, politicians even. But they lacked in their spirituality. And how sad. How sad that was. How sad that would be if that was spoken of McKee Road Baptist Church. Oh, it's nothing wrong with having knowledge and speaking well. But it's so much better to be spiritual. Spiritual. They were blessed by the Spirit, but they could not walk in the Spirit. They did not walk in the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are the abilities that God gives Christians. God gives Christians. Which, by the way, he expects us to use for him. Right? Every natural ability we have is a gift of God's spirit. Your personality is God's gift to you. Some of us need to work on our personalities a little bit. Maybe me. Right? Now I think of the athletes. I think of the athletes that can run faster and can jump higher and maybe throw further than anybody else. And so few times do you ever hear them giving God the credit. Giving God the credit. You know, they act as though that, that's something phenomenal about them. You know, maybe being a Jerry Rice that can catch the ball when it seems like that ball can't be caught. Or when you have a Tom Brady throw a pass and can make it hit exactly where he wants it to go when you think nobody can make that happen. Or the baseball player that comes up 
and the game is on the line and he hits that crucial home run. They have these abilities. Oh, some have taken and refined them somewhat, but you know what? That's an ability given to them by God. Similarly speaking, God gives his Christians, his children, abilities. That question you need to ask yourself tonight is this. Am I using those abilities for God? Heaven forbid that God would give us a talent perhaps of singing or playing a musical instrument. That we're so good that you then take it to the world and you use it to earn income, but you won't use it in God's house. God didn't give you that ability for that reason. He gave you that ability to serve him. God intends for us to use the gifts he has given us to serve him. The problem is that many want to serve God, but most people only want to do it in an, in an advisory capacity. I'll, I'll serve you, God, but I'll give you some advice. This is what you should do. Oh, now we'd never say that out loud, but if you allow yourself to and allow God to open up your heart, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, you'll be surprised what comes out of there, what he'll show you. <clears throat> Fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with Christ, verse 9. Verse 9, let's read it again. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some Christians use the term uh, in fellowship. Sometimes you'll hear the term out of fellowship. In fellowship or out of fellowship. I've heard this quite a bit, actually. But you know, as you read through the New Testament, I think it teaches us something different. You either have more or less fellowship with Christ to the extent that we are trusting and obeying him. That we're trusting and obeying him. The book of 1 John is one of the epistles that deals with our relationship with God. And it makes clear that fellowship is a matter of, I'm going to use a word, continuum. Continuum, which simply means a continuous sequence. It's just going to go on and go on. Alice and I have a fellowship, if you would. We're married. And we have a fellowship. We can use it that way. Sometimes, but it's continuum. It's always continuous. It's always continuous. Sadly, with many Christians, you know what we look at it like? It's like an on-off button. I turn it on. I'm in fellowship with God. Everything's going well. But things start going bad. There's a problem that comes into your life. God's allowed a trial to come across your tracks and you've got a problem, what do you do? First thing you do is blame God, you quit church, you turn the off button, you hit the off button. Then after time, people praying for you or perhaps you fall on your face before God and make things right, you turn the button back on. Our fellowship is continual. It's continual. <clears throat> you see, we should not only be walking in fellowship with God, but we should be growing in our fellowship with God day by day. The longer you're with someone, the stronger that fellowship becomes. You begin to think like one another. I can't tell you how many times Alice will say, hey, and I'll, and I'll give her the answer. We've not even talked about it. We do it all the time. We do it, why? It's that fellowship. We know what each other's is thinking. We know what each other's thinking. This should be that way with God. 
We should be growing in our capacity, in our ability for fellowship, as well as growing in our, our enjoyment for that fellowship. You know what happens when you get out of church? It's interesting. Now we're, I'm going to kind of switch it over to people. You get out of church. You come to church. You may not want to be around the Christian brothers as, as much as you used to. You don't enjoy that fellowship. You've grown away from your fellowship. Same is with God. Paul prayed that for the Colossians. Some churches speak in terms of being in or out of fellowship. Well, it's more biblical, I think, to think of how much fellowship we are enjoying with Christ. Well, there were divisions in the church. When you go to verse 10, verse 10, let's go ahead and pick it up there. See, this is a carnal church. There's a carnal church here. And, and when you go someplace and you find that there's divisions in a church, mark it down. That's a sign of carnality. Now, see, what we're doing is we're reading in the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is a history to us, but it's always a lesson of who we should be and who we should not be. And so we're learning from this. So we're able to look at these and, and, and make that call. Well, that's carnality. That's carnality. Um, what are those four personality traits? There's, uh, <clears throat> give me the first one is, there's a choleric, there's a melancholy, there's sanguine, and there's phlegmatic. I say you cannot give me a personality, but they say I'm phlegmatic. I guess I'm the guy that likes to throw the ice water on everybody's party. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I got there. I don't know why I got there. But, but there were divisions, divisions in the church. So let's go to... Uh, chapter 1 verse 10 it says now I beseech you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing huh what's, what's he saying you're being of the same mind you're all heading down the same track you know it's like sometimes we come into church and it's like there's uh, several switching lines here and you've got several different train tracks running everybody's got their own idea of how things should be done there's divisions same thing, that ye be of no, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Boy, okay. You know, this is good stuff to know. If you find yourself kind of going off track a little bit, and, and maybe, uh, I just think they're wrong, and I think we should do it this way, and ah, uh, they just, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that carnality? For it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. I said, Paul, you might want to take a look at this. You might want to take a look at this. There's some stuff going on over here. And this is a spiritual Christian saying, hey, you might take a look at this. Verse 12 says, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I have Christ. And Paul goes, hey, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. <coughs> Excuse me. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ 
should be made of none effect. Hmm. You ever heard the term, don't shoot the messenger? You ever have to go in to tell your boss something and you're going, oh boy, I know what my boss is like, you know, okay. And so you kind of get ready and, you know, I think of the weightlifters that throw that, was that talcum powder they throw in them? Was that powder or is that flour? They're getting ready to cook and eat something, I don't know. They, they throw that on there and they're getting ready to lift the weight, you know. Because it's going to be a tough thing they're going to have to do. So you go in there and you give the message. And they seem to just chew your head off. Ho, 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 wait a minute. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just bringing the message. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. In this text, they were glorifying the gospel messengers and not the gospel message. I think of the first chapter of Rome's where they were worshiping the creation and not the creator. You know, isn't it just like the world? We get things backwards. But wait a minute. This was the church. This was carnal Christians. See, we need to watch that. We need to watch that. They were glorifying the gospel messengers, not the message. Paul proceeded to teach them a different viewpoint. Uh, last week we spoke about the construct of spirituality or the building of spirituality. And this is an example. He's trying to build them, spiritually speaking. He's building them, spiritually speaking. Let's talk about the clarification of God's wisdom and purpose, verses 18 through 31. See, now we're going through this chapter much faster than we are through the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross to them that perish, foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It seemed ridiculous. It seemed ridiculous. The whole idea that somebody who was, who was not smart enough to save himself from being crucified, and, and when he was innocent, he couldn't save himself, how is he going to become the savior of humanity? That just seems ridiculous. That's just a foolish statement, they thought. If Jesus could not save himself, how can he be my savior? It's foolishness. This message is to those that are justified. And it's the essence of the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. In the sense that God uses the message to transform people when they believe it. When they believe it. So it may look foolish but it really is the key to the power. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God does not choose to impress people. He's not looking to impress people. He does what he will. And the effect that it has will glorify him. Why? Because it seems so unlikely that it would happen. It could only be done, this, this could only be done by God because there's no way, there's no way. You know, you think of so many things in the Bible. I think uh, when Jesus came after being resurrected and he told the disciples, have you any meat? They've been out all night toiling. Well, cast it on the right side, I think he said. And he couldn't draw the net in. It just seemed so unlikely, so unlikely. Verse 20 says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the disputer of this world? Remember, the Corinthians were a very intellectual people. They were very highly regarded in their culture. He goes on and says, Hath, God, hath not God made, the, made foolish the wisdom of this? Paul is saying that this world, this age, this culture is passing away. And what appears to be wise to them, it's on its way out. It's on its way out. <clears throat> Continues on, second part of that 21st verse. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now God is not saying that they preach foolishness. Far from it. Far from it. He's saying that they perceived it to be foolish. In their mind, in the wisdom of the earthly man's mind, he could not comprehend this uh, to be correct. They were saying he could not save himself. He couldn't save himself from dying on the cross. He couldn't save himself from being crucified. Even when he was innocent, how can this be? And yet he laid down his life. See, they didn't take it from him. He said, I lay down my life freely. I lay down my life. And he bore the sins of all the world, all of humanity. And in doing so, he made a way of salvation for everyone that believed. And that's the message that saved them that believed. Verse 22, it says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. <clears throat> Typically, the Jews were looking for manifestations. They were looking for facts or evidences of divine power. They were big on this. <clears throat> they were big on this. They were huge on that. We find it throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels where the Pharisees were asking Jesus to do signs that signified that God was at work. They needed this verification. This spirit is still around here today. We're looking for evidence of salvation. I talked about it this morning. How we talk about we hear this. Have you received the Holy Ghost? Uh, have you received the second blessing? On and on and on. What's going on? People are looking for uh, verification that they've been saved. They're trying to show it by some sort of physical evidence. And remember what I said, 1 John 5, 13. These things are written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, when you have it in the written word of God, that's all you need. That's all you need. I think a lot of the problem I'm digressing comes in when people have to have that as an evidence when they're having to deal with sin in their life. And they're having things and they're doing things that causes them perhaps to doubt their salvation. Work out your own salvation, the Bible says. <clears throat> Whenever the Jews saw a sign, that persuaded them. Oh, I believe it now. I believe it now. In the book of Acts, when the disciples spoke in tongues, it was very impressive to the Jews. We're talking about this today. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 and verse 7. After they spoke in tongues, they said, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That was a big sign to them. Oh, they were impressed. They were impressed. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. They were announcing that Jesus was their Messiah. <clears throat> and you know what? To the Jews, this was, very, this was very offensive because he was not their choice. He was not their choice. 
Second part of verse 23, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. Christ, the power of God. The great phrase there. Christ, the power of God, and then, and the wisdom of God. Wow. <clears throat> He's the solution for the Jews' request for a sign. He's also a solution for the Greek request for wisdom. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ hanging on a cross to men appeared to be <clears throat> the epitome or the perfect example of weakness. He's on the cross. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. It was foolishness to them. Foolishness. Oh, but God had a plan, didn't he? God had a plan. In reality, it was the greatest demonstration of strength the world has ever seen because it required and involved the submission to the will of God, which resulted in what? The salvation of all mankind, if they'll only receive. Verse 26, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And typically that's the way it's been throughout the the history of the church. It seems to be some unknown individual that does something mighty for God. 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, or, or at least the things that seem to be inconsequential or not very impressive to the world, okay? <clears throat> to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know, child of God, <clears throat> this should be very encouraging to us. Ricky, this should be very encouraging to me. Why? Most of us are just your average Joe. Nothing special about me. You know? Some people we can point out, man, there goes. Now, that person, like my friend Tom Pride, probably the most brilliant man I ever knew. And he's the one that built satellites and sent them out into space. Of course, he talked like a common man. He made you feel like he was your best friend. But <clears throat> we look at this, and it should be encouraging as we understand that God didn't choose the noble. He didn't choose those that are greatly gifted. He uses ordinary people, that song. Just ordinary people. I'm ordinary people. Now, to me, you guys are all significant Super duper people. But I'm ordinary people. And this encourages me because this is telling me that God can use me. God can, can use me. <clears throat> the carnal Corinthian church member, their perspective was not very sound as they looked at this. They were glorifying the messengers, but not the message. They get confused. They didn't recognize the essential superiority of the message of the cross. Verse 28, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. See, God chose Balaam, God chose Gideon, God chose Jephthah, God used Samson, God used strange tools, didn't he? He used weak instruments and God did amazing things through them so that he would receive the glory and not mankind. That he would receive the glory, 
the message and not the messengers. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Well, throughout the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is showing the carnal Christians of the church there their error, their error. He's showing them their carnality. You know, I guess we can take anything away from this. We need to stop and consider within our own lives, am I displaying a life of a spiritual person? Or am I manifesting the life of a carnal individual? What things do I have in life that grow my carnality? Paul is telling the church here, that you need to be a spiritual child of God, not a carnal Christian. Remember the natural man, that's the lost man. The carnal man's saved, but he's a babe in Christ. How long have you been saved? You answer the question. Should you be a babe? Where should you be? Should you be maybe a toddler, primary? Okay, going in intermediate school? You know, high school, college, postgraduate. Where should you be in your spiritual education? That's who we should aspire to be. McKee Road Baptist Church, we do not want to be like the church of Corinth. Let's bow our heads forward in prayer. Are you a carnal Christian? I believe that's the answer we need to ask ourselves tonight. You know, are you displaying carnality? When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you think of? When you're by yourself, what thoughts run through your head? Are they on God? How quick are you to go to prayer? Are you a carnal Christian? I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to open the off altar to be used by you. Father, I pray, have your will and way in the hearts and lives of people tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me.